0: passage as if by magic behind me. And if you want to find the book of Exodus and head your way to chapter 3 of Exodus. um, And we've got quite a lot to get through this morning, so I'm just going to kind of punch straight into this. Uh, We're going to read this together. Let me move out of the way so some of you can see, and then we'll pray. Uh, Now Moses... Was keeping the, if you don't know who Moses is, I'll explain in a minute. Moses was keeping the flock of his father in law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I'm to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, something. Something. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I'll bring you up out of, this, out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. A land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice people favor in the sight of the Egyptians and when you go you should not go empty but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in a house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing you should put them on your sons and on your daughters so you shall plunder the Egyptians let me pray God we thank you so much for the Bible this book which is your words and uh We want to feed on it this morning, like we come to a good dinner, we want to come and feed on your word and let it feed our souls and feed our hearts and help us to draw near to you. Pray, help us to do that, Jesus. Amen. Well, well done. I hope you're still awake. Sorry, that was a long passage, but it was worthwhile to read it this morning. It's always good to read the Bible together. Let's get into this. Um, About a week ago, I I took, um, with the family, we we took a ferry ride. You can catch, I don't know if you've done this, you can catch the ferry from behind Central Station, and there's different ones that go off in different directions. They're all totally free. Uh, So we whizzed round up to the NDSM Wharf. Has anyone been up in that part of the city? It's a really fun part of the city. And you go up there, and you get off the ferry, and as you kind of walk up the street, very soon you're confronted by this huge piece of street art, um, it's, it's massive, it's on the side of a building, I think it's about 240 square meters, it's huge. Uh, it's by a Hungarian street artist called Eduardo Korbra, and it's a picture that he's painted on the wall of, of Anne Frank, I'm sure most of you know who, who Anne Frank is, if you don't, she was, a, she was a German Jew that escaped here from the Nazis at the start of the Second World War, uh, and then they had to go into hiding uh, here in Amsterdam. Uh, they lived in a house, it's a museum now, just around the corner from here. You can go and see where they, they were lived in hiding, and she lived there for about four years, uh, and then sadly, the, they, they found her, and they took her and her family to a concentration camp where she died with her sister and her mother. But her, her father survived, and he, when he returned home, he discovered a diary that she'd written She'd written, every day while they were in, in this hiding place, she'd written this diary telling her story, uh, which has kind of become quite almost symbolic in our city. And one of the most famous things she said is kind of written on this mural. This piece of street art is basically her head in all sorts of different colors. It's amazingly done. And it says above her head, it says, let me be myself. That's kind of her most famous slogan, the most famous quote from this diary. She says, let me be myself let me be myself she actually the, the full quote is uh it's very funny here she says i know what i want i have a goal an opinion i have a religion and love let me be myself and then i'm satisfied i know that i'm a woman a woman with inward strength and plenty of courage um when you read anne frank's diary the the question that um she's coming back to that she's trying to answer is she's a teenage girl she was a she was kind of about 14 in her early teens and she was trying to she was just trying to discover about herself She was asking the question that I guess all of us ask at some point or other in our lives she was saying who who am I what what am I supposed to do what's my purpose what's my goal she's saying that who am I and that's that's kind of the cry of every human heart of many people in our city, they're searching all the time and asking that question, who am I? Which in a way is a, a little bit of a selfish question, and it does become a bit selfish that we, we then start to, we get absorbed within ourselves. What, what am I supposed to do? What's my goal, what's my purpose? How can I make myself happy? How can I be, as Anne Frank says, satisfied? If I get my own way, if I do things like I want, then maybe I'll be satisfied, I'll be happy. And the thing about Anne Frank's book is it's, as, as you'd expect from a diary, she's, she's just thinking out loud. It's very personal. She's not trying to create some ideology. She's not trying to create a kind of a rallying cry for people to get behind, which has kind of happened now. Actually, this, even this quote, it's written in the context of a rant against her mother. <laughs> She's getting cross with her mum. She goes on to say in the next paragraph, she says, I shall attain more than mummy ever did. <laughs> and that's a common theme through her diaries. They're just getting cross and angry at her mum. She just gets frustrated. And that, that's, for us, um, we, we often get lost in a very intimate, personal kind of frustration intimate personal desire to, to keep ourselves happy of w- what's the purpose for me and my life and now it's it's if you go and see this mural now at, at the bottom uh, i think it's been there about 6 months or so but someone has added some new graffiti at the bottom in big yellow writing where it just says we can party <laughs> which in a way is i mean it kind of ruins the picture but it's quite it's quite apt because this goal of let me be myself, of let me achieve what I want to achieve, let me uh, discover who, who I am, let me have my own individual freedom and purpose, many of us just interpret that as, I just want to party, I just want to have some fun. I just want to get the most out of life as I can. And we're not, into, we're not dreaming about the kind of personal freedoms, we just, we just want to enjoy life, we just want to live life to the full, just to get the most out of it, which isn't a bad thing at all. But the question that you have to, to ask, and a question I wanna to pose to you this morning, is what happens when, when that isn't enough? <laughs> when that doesn't fulfill you? When that, that doesn't really meet your needs? You know, is that really all there is to life, just to make yourself happy? just to keep yourself pleased, just to be satisfied? Is that really all there is? Because, I don't know if you've noticed this, but two things tend tend to happen. You set yourself some dreams, some desires, some goals, and either you you don't meet those dreams and you get disappointed, or the other thing that tends to happen is you do meet those dreams and then you realize that it's not quite what you thought it was gonna be. You thought you'd feel amazing and it would give you this huge hit and you'd feel delighted. And it does, but only for a short time. It satisfies you for a little bit and then it's gone. And you thought, oh, I thought that was the thing that was going to keep me happy, but it didn't. It made you happy for a, for a moment, for just a short season and then life moves on. And you think, oh, well, what do I do now? And we, we live in a city of, of, I guess you could call them sort of, disappointed dreamers. You know, people who set themselves a dream and a desire. Many people have moved to the city to pursue their dreams and desires and then they just feel a bit let down. It hasn't worked out. And also, another thing that happens if we kind of pursue our own self and our own desires, what I want, is you you just become, I mean, obviously, you become a bit selfish. It just kind of breeds this sense of selfishness that's the most out, obvious outworking of individualism is selfishness. And that leads to just relational chaos. It just destroys relationships. All you have to do is look around our city. Look around your friends, people you know. You see all sorts of relational mess going on. You know, People can delight in the sexual revolution, but if you look at what's resulted from that, it's just in the name of freedom to do what I want, when I want, it's just left chaos and hurt and pain and broken hearts and broken relationships. You think, is, that, is this really all we wanted it to be? Is this really all that life has become? We just become selfish. We, we, we get this entitlement that we think, well, if, if, if my personal needs aren't met, then, then I'm being denied my rights. It's my right that I have my needs met. That's how we think now. That's how the world thinks. <laughs> Another thing it does is it, is it, it breeds a sense of, of loneliness. And there's just this epidemic of loneliness in our city. There was a survey. I don't know if you saw it. It came out about a month ago. It was in the local papers. And they discovered, I think it was something like 48% of people in our city, 48% of Amsterdamers, describe themselves as lonely. It, that's astonishing. That's half our city describe themselves as lonely. That should should shock us. At the same time, we should think, not that it's good news, but this is an opportunity for the church to to say, look, you don't have to be lonely. Come and join community. Come and discover friendship, real friendship, real life. But it's the obvious side product of a whole city saying, we're just going to do what we want. We're going to live selfishly, it means it just breeds loneliness around us. People just get lost. People get missed out. It was something like, I can't remember the, the this percentage, but it was uh, 80,000 people in our city. They, they didn't just describe themselves as, as lonely. They described themselves as seriously lonely. 80% of people. Another survey said that 7% of people across the whole of Europe, 7% of, of people have have gone a whole year without seeing any friends or family. That's, that should, that's unbelievable. <laughs> but that's the sort of society we live in now, that people live so individually that community and relationships and family is just lost. It's just this epidemic around us. <laughs> the, uh, the, the theologian, the philosopher, who lived a very long time ago, uh, Augustine, he said this, he's talking about God, He said, you've made us for yourself. You've made us for God. And this is a very important thing to get hold of. Our our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You've made us for yourself. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. But yet what what we believe in our societies, we we believe we're made for ourselves. Um, The only way we can give our hearts peace is to satisfy that need, and it doesn't work. That's what I'm, I'm trying to lay into you, is it doesn't work, it just doesn't. Now, you, you might think, which is a very important question, you might think, what does this have anything to do with that long piece of the Bible that we just read? You know, is this, this guy Moses, there's this bush that seems to burn, and it's not burning, what's going on? And now this guy's talking about a piece of street art. What are you talking about? Okay, let me, let, let me try and explain. See, two of, the most, two of the most important questions in life, if not the most important questions in life, are firstly, who am I and who is God? For anyone, those are the two most important questions. Who am I and who is God? And you might think, well, the second question, who is God? That's only for religious people. That doesn't matter to anybody else. That's just hocus pocus. It's just nonsense. But the thing is, if, if that's what you think, then you have already answered that question. But you've, the answer you've given of who is God is you said, well, that's me. The, the communist. Karl Marx, you didn't think you'd come to church today and hear someone quote Karl Marx. He said, religion religion is only the illusory sun of which around man revolves until he begins to revolve around himself. So he's saying that's what, that's what it is to worship God is you revolve around that. And the point he's making is actually we're supposed to revolve around ourselves. But what he's actually saying is that in deciding that we don't want God, you've just decided that you're God. And by revolving around yourself, you're just worshiping yourself. You've put yourself at the center of the universe. You're the thing that orbits around yourself. (laughs) That's why people are lonely, (laughs) it doesn't work. See, because this relates to the text, because these are the two questions that Moses asks when God comes to him in this astonishing scene. He asks, in uh, verses 11 and 12, he says, because God's come to him in this bush, he said, you're standing on holy ground, take off your shoes, and then God commissions Moses to go and set the people of Israel free. You've been oppressed. And he says, who am I? That's the question. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And listen to God's response. He said, God said, but I will be with you. and This shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you, sh- you shall serve God on this mountain. And this is the question that Anne Frank was wrestling with, the question we spend most of our lives trying to figure out who am I? It has lots of kind of sub questions that are basically the same question of kind of what am I doing? Why am I here? Where am I going? What sh- job should I do? What's going to keep me happy? I'm not good enough, life isn't working. All those questions are driven by a desire to keep yourself happy. Maybe some of you have even asked those questions this week of yourself. And Moses' question is legitimate. He's saying, he's saying to God, who am I? <laughs> who am I? Because Moses' story is that the people of, of Israel, the Hebrews, Moses is a Hebrew, they've been oppressed for decades, centuries in fact. But Moses has kind of escaped it all. He was born in a Hebrew family, um, but when he was very young, he was put in a, in a basket because the Egyptians were slaughtering all the newborn males. Moses escaped. He was adopted by Pharaoh's family. Pharaoh's the, the kind of the emperor of Egypt. Moses is brought up in Pharaoh's household until he's a grown man. He leaves, and then he kills a man, and then he has to escape from Egypt and he goes and finds himself a wife and ends up working for his father-in-law, which is where we picked up the story, and he's a, he's a shepherd. But all the time, his people, the Hebrews, have been suffering this brutal oppression. They're slaves being driven by the Egyptians. They're being horribly oppressed, and Moses has escaped it all. He's a Hebrew, but he's not been through the rest of it. So his question is kind of legitimate. He's saying, well, who am I? You know, surely you want to send someone who understands what they've been going through. I've just been on this, on this different journey, this different adventure. What, why, why should I do it? What am I going to do? But <laughs> you see, God's response is perhaps the way we might respond if, uh, you know, I do this as a parent. You know, when my kid says to me, he says, oh, I can't do this. Who am I to do this? I'll say, yeah, of course you can. You can do it. And maybe we think that's what God should reply. So I believe in you. You've got it in you. But God doesn't say that at all. Moses says, who am I? And God says, I will be with you. (laughs) And Moses is thinking, you haven't answered my question. But but God has. That's the most important thing. God's saying, I will be with you. (laughs) You, 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 It's not that you might not be able to do it, Moses, but you can't do it. So actually, I'm not going to tell you that because it's just going to freak you out. The important thing is the living God's gonna be with you, and that's gonna make make all the difference. And you see, as crazy as that might sound to you maybe, that is really the best answer to that question, who am I, is God's with you? We're gonna explain that a little bit more in a moment. When we come on to the next couple of verses, we come to the next big question. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Who is God, is what he's asking. What is, what it, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God, God's getting in the habit of not directly answering his questions, it seems. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Which, again, may confuse you. It's a slightly mysterious answer. In, in the culture at the time, to ask someone's name... To, to say to someone, what is your name, is you're, you're asking them something about their, their character. You're asking kind of, what, what are you like? Who are you? Knowing someone's name in this culture revealed something important about them. It's not just their name that you can refer to them by. It reveals something of their character. So that's what Moses is asking. Who, who are you? He's trying to get to know God. He's asking this question. And, and God's answer is a bit odd. I mean, if... If you came in here this morning for the first time and if you met one of our team on the door and they welcomed you and you said, oh, hi, my name's, you know, Bill. And they said, oh, good to meet you. My name is I am who I am. Then you may have thought, I'm not gonna go to this church. These people are weird. And you may have run out the door and we would have, that would have been good. If any of our welcome team said that to you, please tell us so that we can sack them because they shouldn't say that, it's the wrong answer. See, but this, this, this reply, I am who I am, Moses, he probably spent the rest of his life trying to figure out what God was on about. And theologians, people who study the Bible, have spent 3,000 years trying to figure out what God means by this. And I've spent the last week trying to figure out what God <laughs> is saying about this. And reading all sorts of different theologians and clever people, and a the Dutch theologian who's normally excellent, a guy called Herman. Herman Bavinck, he said this. He said, God is that which he calls himself, and he calls himself that which he is, which is of no help to me whatsoever. <laughs> like, what does that mean? Maybe you understand that. I do not. But I came across all these quotes that were just making things more complicated. I'm thinking, what's wrong with you people? So let me try and explain to you. When God says, I am who I am, as I said, he's, God's revealing something about his character, and the first thing to learn is that God's, God is mysterious, okay? And that's all right. It's all right to not understand everything of God. You might have come in here this morning and you know very little, and you've got lots of questions about God, and you're thinking, I'm not sure this is okay. <laughs> I'm not sure that if there is a God, I'm not even sure if there is, but if there is a God, I'm not sure that's a good thing. What, you might have all sorts of questions, and that's, that's okay. If, if God was so small that we could fully understand him, then he wouldn't really be much of a God, would he? If we could just kind of package God down and say, oh, he's, look, he's like this. Just read this short book. That will tell you exactly what God's like. Then that's not really going to, that's not God. We're never going to fully understand God. I'm, I'm, I've spent my whole life trying to learn more about God, trying to get to know him better. and It's a brilliant journey to go on. And hopefully one day when I'm in heaven, I will know God fully. But right now, I'm just I'm learning, and and we, God is mysterious. The writer A. W. Tozer, he said, left to ourselves, we tend to immediately reduce God to manageable terms. We just reduce God down to what we can understand. Churches do it as well. Whole communities of people, they only teach certain messages because they. Let's just get rid of those bits. We don't like that bit. We don't like this bit. This bit we don't understand. So we'll just teach this bit. We can just worship this God. That's not actually, that's just a kind of a caricature. That's just a cartoon image of God. We want to worship God for who he truly is. And sometimes we just have to accept he is mysterious. Also this name means, it means that God is, he's eternal. He's unchanging. Because this I am who I am in the Hebrew, it was written in the, in the present tense. Not in the past tense or the future tense. It was written in the present. God is saying, for all time, through all generations, I am. I don't change. I don't shift. God says that in, in Malachi. He says, I do not change. And even as Christians, we can get into this kind of wrong-headed thinking that there's kind of an Old Testament angry God and there's a New Testament happy God And so we should read the New Testament because God seems a bit happier there. But it's the same God. He's not changed. He's not different. It's the same God. His love for you, his grace, at the same time his justice and holiness, all those themes and many more, they run all the way through the Bible. They're there all the way through. It's not that they suddenly just appear in certain moments. They're there all the way through, running through the Bible Seeing God leading his people out of Egypt, as he's doing in this story of Moses, he's revealing his sovereign grace to them. He's remembering his covenant. Even though they've not remembered the covenant, even though they've walked away from God, God will remember his covenant. It's his grace coming out, even in this story. And even in this story, we see Moses coming before this, this bush that's on fire and having to take off his shoes and stand on holy ground, because God's holy. And that runs all the way through the Bible, and that doesn't change God doesn't change, he's eternal. He's also, God is, he's, he's kind of other than us, he's different from us, he's independent from us. God is self-existent. See, because we can learn so much about seeing God in this fire, this bush that doesn't burn. It says in verse three, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. This angel is most likely what theologians call a theophany. Um, it's, it's an appearance of God himself. Some people would speculate this is kind of the pre-incarnate Jesus. This is, we don't know that for sure, but it's God has come to speak to Moses out of this bush. And the same way that this fire burns this bush, and yet the bush doesn't, isn't consumed, it doesn't burn up, You see, God isn't governed by the same rules that govern us. He's different from us. He's not reliant on us. He's not waiting for us to worship him so he can feel good about himself. (laughs) God's not like that. He's independent from us. He's very different from us. There's another scene uh, in Joshua where, where the angel of the Lord appears to Joshua and Joshua's in battle and Joshua doesn't know who he is. So Joshua says, are, are you for us or are you against us? <laughs> and the angel gives this brilliant reply. He says, no. <laughs> There's another great reply. Are you, are you on my team or are you not on my team? No. Okay, well, which are you then? I'm confused. But it's God saying that it's not important whether God is on your side or not. It's whether you're on his side, whether you're following him, whether you're signed up to his agenda. See, God's different from us. He's transcendent from us. And yet also we learn from this story, this name, that God is is near. He's near to us. He's come down to Moses to speak to him. Same way that Jesus has come down to us. God is on one hand altogether different. He's other. He's self-sufficient. He's independent. He's transcendent above us. But at the same time, in his imminence, God draws close to us. He gets involved with our lives. The songwriter Matt Redman, he says he's the God of the infinite and the intimate. That's the God we worship, infinite God and intimate God. You notice when you, when you walk into this building, maybe when you come in here for the first time, it's deliberately designed in a way that you walk in and everyone looks up and goes, wow. And you're, you're caught up in the kind of the grandeur of the place. It's almost kind of a transcendent moment that happens. Because the building is designed to kind of lift you up out of yourselves and to God. To lift you away of your troubles and bring you to God. Buildings like this were built to magnify God. To display his glory and his wonder. And you'll notice that people do it all the time. They'll walk into this building. I sit every week and they walk in and go, wow. And they're caught up in something else. And then they get out their phone and they try and take a selfie. <laughs> Caught back to themselves again. But you see what happens is, is this, this building is supposed to draw us to God, but yet the people within it, the community, us, as the building says that God is transcendent and he's other than us, the people who are in here, we say we can show that God's near, that God's intimate, that he's brought together a family that he's our father, that we can know him. <laughs> we can know and love one another out of our worship to God. God is infinite and intimate all at the same time. And this, this I am who I am, he may seem mysterious to you, but wonderfully now we can, we can, know, him by, we can know him by a new name. In John 8, Jesus says to his disciples, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is saying, he's he's going all the way back to Exodus chapter three. He's going back to this revelation of God and saying, that's me. That's me, that Jesus has come to be with us now. In Revelation 1.8, Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, the Alpha and the Omega, that's the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. God's saying, I'm the beginning and the end, and I'm everything in between. I was there from, from the very beginning, I'll be there through all eternity. And Jesus is saying that about Himself. You see, in, in you, in us, searching for our meaning, our purpose, let me be myself, trying to figure out who we are, who am I? As we said, you'll always fall short. It will never fulfill you. You'll never really like the answer that you find if you really start searching, who am I? If you're really honest with yourself, you probably won't really like the answer that you find. But when you find that answer to the question is not, the answer to the question, who am I, is I will be with you. And you think, well that doesn't make any sense, but it makes perfect sense. That's what you were designed for, that's what you were made for, that's your purpose. You see, when when God says to Moses, "I, I will be with you, these words then echo through all of history. We see Moses, he leads, God helps Moses to lead, to confront Pharaoh, to lead the people out of Egypt, He leads them back to this mountain that he was talking about earlier and there he establishes his covenant with the people, this promise that he will be with them, that they will be his people and he will be their God. The book of Exodus culminates with them building this meeting place where God dwells. The whole of the Exodus story is building to this point of God saying, I'm with you, I'm with you, here I am, I'm with you. And now through Jesus through his life, death and resurrection, he's with us. He's with us. God Emmanuel, God with us. And that's the most important thing. That answers all the questions. When when your life story, your purpose becomes not how do I keep myself happy? How how do I make life work? How do I confront this problem? When your life purpose becomes how do I worship God, it sets you free. <laughs> it sets you free. Sets you free from that horrible question that just locks you up of who am I, and instead you get to ask who is God, and get to spend your whole life searching out that, getting to know Him. And that's just—it's the best way to live. And it's not. Let me finish by saying, it's not that God doesn't want you to be yourself. It's not that Anne Frank was wrong. That's an important question. Let me be made by myself. But God wants you to be yourself but to follow him in that, that he's created you uniquely as you, but for a purpose, to worship him. He's not just created like an army of drones we're all supposed to do the same thing. He's made us all unique, all different, but all with the same purpose, to worship God. That question of who am I is answered by God being with us. Right, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to move on. why don't we stand together if that's okay? If you prefer, you can stay seated. You don't have to stand. And we just pray. God, we thank you so much that you're with us. You're with us. And that, that just changes everything. For all the the wrestles in our hearts, all the doubts and worries, all the concerns although I've not achieved what I wanted to achieve. and My life isn't what I thought it was gonna be. Thank you, we can come to you and find the answers in you. That <laughs> You've given us this new purpose, this new life that fulfills us, that meets all our needs. It's not, God, that you don't want us to be happy, but you actually know how we can be happy. <laughs> it's not that you don't want us to be satisfied, but you know truly how we can be satisfied. And we want to give our hearts to you again. We want to follow you. We thank you, God, that you've, as you led the people of Israel out, you've led us out through your death, through your resurrection. You've led us out from our sin, the mess we've made of our lives. You've led us into freedom in you. You've led us into the promised land of knowing you as our Father. And we just want to take a moment and uh, say afresh in our hearts that we want to follow you. And as part of that, we want to tell this city about you. We, we want to find that 48% of people who are chronically lonely. We want to solve that, the epidemic of loneliness. We want to solve it with that message that God is with you. That all those people living selfishly or the relational chaos around us, we want to solve it by bringing people to you, Jesus. Knowing that you can heal and restore and forgive God, I just want to pray for anyone who's coming today who who feels lonely or is aware of just chaos and mess that they've left behind them, destruction where they've just let people down or they've been let down. I pray they just know your grace this morning. They just know your forgiveness, your abundant care and love for them. We pray you just start a work of restoration in their hearts, God, we ask.